Hey, this is Matthew Lilly. Welcome to the Presence Pioneers podcast. Hey, thank you for tuning in today. Welcome. We have an amazing episode. It's a conversation with Andrew Chalmers, who is the founder of Take the City, which is an evangelistic ministry that's rooted in prayer. It's based out of Columbus, Georgia. He's a great friend of mine. This conversation is so good. Andrew has also just helped release a short documentary film called We Hear You that was filming what's happening on the ground in Minneapolis and in St. Louis and other places immediately following the death of George Floyd in the midst of protests and riots. Uh, It's a very insightful film, and we talk all about that today. And Andrew, at the end of this interview, he gets it's so fiery as he's talking about the way prayer and intimacy fuel evangelism and missions. You're going to want to make sure to listen to this whole episode. It's so good. Look, welcome back to our regular subscribers and listeners and watchers. We've been on a little break for a couple months because our family and our ministry has been relocating. We should be back now in some regular rhythms of the podcast, and we're excited about that. If you're new here, thank you for tuning in. The Presence Pioneers podcast exists to equip presence-centered communities to worship and pray night and day. So this is for those who are in communities like houses of prayer, burn furnaces, praying churches, prayer groups, campus prayer groups. This is to help you and equip you. So if you're a lover of Jesus, a worshiper, an intercessor, a leader, this is going to be super helpful for you. So be sure to subscribe, uh, share, like, any, any way you can engage, leave a review on Apple. All of those things help us and, and allow this message to get out to more people so that Jesus is honored and glorified through all of it. Thank you so much. I just want to let you know, the end of this interview, Andrew's prayer gets cut off because we start having issues with our internet connection. So I'm sorry about that, but this conversation is so good. You're going to love it. Here is my conversation with Andrew Chalmers. All right. Well, welcome to the podcast, Andrew. It's good to be here. (laughs) Yeah, it's an honor to have you on, man. So not a lot of people will probably know you. So I would love to chat about the We Hear You film and what's been happening since George Floyd was killed and your journey in going there and documenting what's happening on the ground uh, there in Minneapolis. That's sort of what's really on the forefront of what's, what's going on right now in our world and the conversations around racial injustice and all that. Um, but I'd love for you to just introduce yourself a little bit, give us a, a little bit of backstory on you, Andrew. Uh, it's been great to get to know you personally over the last couple of years in the connection with Awaken the Dawn. Went to go visit you guys there in Columbus, Georgia last year. So maybe just give people a little bit of backstory on Andrew Chalmers, and then we'll we'll move into this film, this We Hear You documentary that you've released recently. Yeah, sure. Um, well, it's it's an honor to be able to jump on this with you. And I love that you're doing uh, this podcast and, and reaching people and encouraging them. I think this is just such an effective way, you know, to, to do that. Um, I am uh, living in Columbus, Georgia here with my family. Uh, my wife, Ellen, and I, we actually have four kids. And uh, we're, uh, we just recently found out we're actually expecting another. So we're, we're building right. a, a little army here in our house. And we lead a ministry that's called Take the City. 
and Take the City. Uh, we started it in 2013 as an evangelistic effort, um, really focused on doing a couple of things here in our city, in, in Columbus, Georgia, um, you know, building unity between churches. Uh, that was one of our main focuses. And then also um, helping to mobilize churches in evangelism. So that's kind of like been our, our primary focus. But one of the interesting things is that we were actually birthed out of a house of prayer. And I actually met my wife in those prayer meetings that helped birth our ministry. So we're definitely an evangelistic ministry. That's the thrust and the focus and the emphasis of, of what Take Your City does. Uh, but we were birthed in the place of prayer. The idea and the vision came out of a season of prayer and fasting. And so, you know, it's, it's just interesting seeing how God has, has morphed and shaped even our like friendships, like getting to know you and others around the country has really been a lot of it because of our influence from, you know, the house of prayer. But my, a little further back into my background, in 2009, I uh, came to the Lord and surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, coming out of addiction to heroin. And I had, uh, in the end of my addiction, wound up homeless in Atlanta, Georgia, where I had grown up. And I lost everything. And so that's been 11 years now since, since that happened. And um, it is just, it, you know, my life is definitely one of those testimonies to the grace of God, just like all of ours, but the grace of God for those specifically that have struggled with addictions, um, you know, like substance abuse and stuff. And I know like for me and my family, you know, there's still people I know that are struggling. Um, and I think just, you know, my story is in a lot of ways built upon you know the reality that God is able to set people free. People aren't bound in addiction. And that's what yeah. really launched me into having a passion for going out and doing street evangelism, reaching inner city areas and stuff. It, it really goes all the way back to that root of where I came from. And I guess like the, the, the gnawing inside of me that the whole time I was out there strung out on drugs... I never had anyone come and minister to me or try to share the gospel with me. I never, you know, it was wow. only darkness. There was no light everywhere I went. You know, I, I didn't think there were Christians anywhere. I, in fact, I lived with the paradigm that everyone did drugs like I did. Like I, I was totally deceived, but I was in this wow. world and no one came out of their comfort zone and came into my world. And so I think part of my driving, the driving force behind what I do is, is that, man, no one ever came you know, and infiltrated where I was. Uh, I want to do that, though. I want to go where no one else wants to go. I want to. I want to be there with people that no one else wants to go to, and and see them encounter Jesus. And and you know, so that's a little bit of of our story. And actually, my, my wife and I. So we live in a house that's in an inner city part of Columbus, Georgia. And this house where we live was abandoned for 10 years. Uh, over half the property in my area uh, is still abandoned right now. Uh, there's homeless camps, like just literally next to my house. Um, you know, th that's yeah, I've worked around the neighborhood with you. Yeah, yeah. You've been here and seen it. And, and so we, we also, like just to give a context of who I am, so I consider myself a, a missionary a missionary in, in the States, not only to the States, I travel around the world. I'm passionate about overseas missions, unreached people groups. 
But I believe it has to start here, that before we can go there, we need to be doing missions here. So we actually live as missionaries in a inner city community. It's an ethnically diverse community. So it's not all one kind of ethnic group. There's a actually a pretty uh, widely split gamut of you know Hispanics, Blacks and whites all living in this community together. And so we, we have learned a lot, even ourselves, about race and just issues that we're facing in America, actually living in the community where we live. We've learned a lot, a lot more than I think we knew. So that's a little bit of context of like who we are. There's a lot more I could share, but th- those are, I think, some relevant things about us that help, will help set the context for some of the things I know we're going to be talking about. Yeah, that's amazing. I love your story. So, I mean, that leads us perfectly into this conversation about this film called We Hear You that just released. What is it? It's only been a couple of weeks, right? Since it came out. Yeah. Maybe yeah, a month. I, I actually can't remember. No, Maybe yeah. a month ago as we're recording this. So yeah. this is early July. It, it just came out. So it hasn't been, it's only been a few months since George Floyd was killed and of course shook our nation in the midst of the COVID pandemic already happening. Now we, we've added to this, this craziness that's happening in the streets with protests and rioting in some places. And this issue of racism has really come to the surface and the conversation around that and justice. And, uh, and so our mutual friend, JT Thomas, who he's been on previous podcast episodes, we'll link to those in the show notes of this episode. But I know that you and he connected together, and that was part of what uh, led you to do this little documentary called We Hear You. So just tell us a little bit about the film and then maybe give us some, some story on, on what, what stirred you to do this. Yeah, I'm, I was just thinking as you were talking, I think it's been just a couple of weeks. It's, it, it, I, time yeah. is so different to me, like specifically right now, we were exposed to coronavirus, so I'm actually at home in quarantine. Thank God, like we're okay. But like, you know, time is so different when you're just literally it's in weird. Your house for, t- for two weeks. Um, so yeah, it's been a couple of weeks since we released the film. And the We Hear You film is, is not necessarily a film trying to give all the answers concerning injustice and race in America. It, and in fact, it, it's the furthest thing from that, like guaranteed. It's not, it's not giving a lot of answers. But uh, the film that we've created is a couple of things. Uh, one, it's, it's a film that we think could be a bridge uh, and like a conversation starter. So it's, it's a film really centered around uh, asking questions, hence the name We Hear You. It's, it's more about listening than, than trying to give the answers. Um, and then also we think it could be not only a bridge builder, but it's, it's proven to be a tool for the church. So in the past couple of weeks, we've even had churches around America pastors, in fact, this this Sunday, I know of several leaders around the nation that are going to be doing this. They're showing it to their church and then they're having discussions after they watch it. Awesome. It's only about 28 minutes long. So it's it's not like you don't need, you know, a five-hour block to watch a film and then have discussions. You could, you know, host an event around the film or even do it on a Sunday morning and not bridge, you know, an hour and a half or two hours if you really wanted to have some discussions. So, you know, that's kind of the purpose of the film. But you know, the story behind it, it really started, and, and I'm sure you can relate to this in some ways, but when 
everything started happening even before George Floyd. There was there were several other things that happened in America, several other people that were killed leading up to it. And then George Floyd was kind of the final straw. And when that happened, for me, I felt like I didn't know exactly how to properly respond. And, you know, not that everyone's looking, you know, to me and my response, uh, but, but in some ways I felt like a pressure to say something, but didn't know what to say. And it's interesting how that time period, the social pressures probably became more intense, like external pressures of people wanting you to do something in a specific way. I had never felt that since like middle school. Like, right. or I, like the last time I felt that much social pressure, you know what I'm saying by social pressure? Oh, yeah. is everyone intense. around you is trying to get you to do something. I haven't seen or ever felt the measure of social pressure that I was feeling, not just to do one thing, but 50 different things simultaneously around the intensity of what happened with George Floyd. So I typically respond to pressure by not doing anything. Like that's the way I respond because I don't want to you know, speak too quickly and then say something I shouldn't have said. So I kind of waited and I, I didn't know how to respond. And I, I felt grieved and I felt torn and pain for our nation, pain for my brothers and sisters, specifically in the black community, it, not just in the nation, like in my neighborhood, like people that I live with, I felt pain. And anyways, I guess like you know, the reason that I made the film is number one, I felt like the Lord told me to go and do this. And number two, I made the film because I felt like a lot of people, specifically in the white evangelical church in America, could probably relate to how I felt, how I didn't know how to respond. And that I was like, I want to make a film that the predominantly white evangelical church could watch and it could help give them language help them identify with how they feel or how they don't know how to feel, you know, or what they don't know what to think. They don't know what to say, you know, just, I I felt like it could resonate with them. And so, yeah. yeah, And so that's kind of the purpose, you know, why we created it is, is predominantly like going on a journey to discover how can we learn more about this issue? How can we actually care about this issue and what can we do? You know, what are some things that we can start to do and, so JT Thomas, you know, he's he's a major proponent of the film and he's the one that I went and interviewed and followed around. And, and the reason I did that is because I really feel like JT has been given authority to speak into this. And so um, sure. that's why we, you know, went out to St. Louis and and did that and and captured it. But you know, we're not we're not filmmakers. That's not you know what I do full time. Um, so it's just interesting how it all it all came together in I think three weeks. So we That's we amazing. In five days, we edited it in two weeks, and it you know came together like that was. That's unheard that was of. A really intense period. <laughs> when yeah, I bet. all that was going on. Yeah, wow. So you were in St. Louis, which is where JT's based. Filmed some of it there. Some of it you went to Minneapolis as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I booked a one way ticket the week after George Floyd was killed, when the protests were turning into riots and buildings were starting to be burned down in not only Minneapolis, but other cities, that's when I felt like the Lord said to go and to film JT and go on this this journey. So I booked a ticket at 10 o'clock on a Monday night and I left 5 a.m. the next morning and with a one-way ticket to St. Louis. So I would show up in St. Louis, basically into like a war zone 
And we just start rolling, filming, like capturing what we can. Um, JT and their ministry literally were in the middle of probably the most intense few days of their entire life, like JT for sure. And so it was a really intense moment to enter into. So we just captured, you know, what we could there and began to interview JT and got, got some really powerful stuff from JT. And one of the interesting things that happened in the filming of it is I, I kept feeling an urge to go to the spot where David Dorn was killed, which is a police officer uh, retired that was killed like the night or two before we arrived. And it, it was national headlines as well. I remember like, that. You know, George Floyd and then David Dorn. So when David Dorn was killed, it went all over the the, the country. And um, so I kept feeling like I needed to go to this pawn shop. There was this pawn shop where he was killed. And I, I looked it up on the map and I kept feeling like I was supposed to go. So we finally get there and his whole family is there. And we were able to pray with the family and just captured some powerful moments of just, just being there and being present and listening. And one of the reasons that I thought it was interesting that we captured that is because we captured not only the side of the pain where there's, you know, George Floyd getting killed by a cop, but we also captured the side of the pain where an officer is getting killed in, in response, you know? And so it's, you know, it's not a, a simple subject. It's, there's not a quick solution. For sure. And there's not just one way to look at it. And so that was one of the interesting things that happened when we were in St. Louis is we captured that side. And I even had some people that have been in law enforcement that contacted me and they said that they they appreciated that because of just the complexity of the, the discussion and, and everything. And, and yeah. from there, we actually went to uh, Minneapolis. And what what what's interesting is JT actually was not going to go with us to Minneapolis. We were just going to go up there without him. And um, I'm literally driving to Minneapolis and he calls me and he's like, bro, where are you? And I was like, I was like, I'm driving, you know, nine hours today to Minneapolis. And he had let, he had actually let me borrow a car. Cause again, I, all I had was a one way <laughs> ticket to St. Louis. So me and Bennett, the guy who was traveling with me, were booking it up there and he calls me and he's like, can, can I come with you? And we were like, yeah, of course. So we actually ended up going back and left much later with JT and so JT ended up going with us. And that's where we hosted a, a hope rally uh, in partnership with the local pastor, Pastor Curtis Farrar. And his church is right there next to the corner of where George Floyd was killed, where this big memorial is. And so that's that's kind of the a little bit of the backstory of going up to Minneapolis, you know, with, with JT. Originally, JT wasn't going. And so it was, it was like literally a last minute decision that he came and I'm so grateful that he did because I think it would have been so the film would have been so different. The experience would have been so different if JT hadn't been involved. Well, I've seen the film. It's great. It's really good, man. You did, you guys did a phenomenal job. I love, of course, JT's perspective. He's got so much insight and wisdom, like you said, on what's happening right now. He's a, really a voice that God's raised up to speak into all of this. And so just amplifying his voice is powerful. I love that pastor when the stuff that he shares on the film as well. And of course, we'll obviously link to the way that people can watch that in the description for the podcast and everything. One of the themes you kept, you keep talking about is listening, that you were just going in to listen. You know, the, the film is called We Hear You. And so I, I don't know what, what, maybe you could talk a little bit more about that just in terms of 
how we can engage in this conversation about race and about injustice. Uh, do you feel like that's one of the keys? Apparently you do about just listening, just asking questions, just sort of getting in the middle of it. Uh, I mean, you're literally, like you said, you're in a neighborhood with your family where there's, you know, it's multi-ethnic there. Is that, is that part of the key that we can see healing and justice and transformation, just kind of starting those conversations? Yeah, that, that's what I've discovered. And the, the whole reason I went on the journey and, and created We Hear You um, was because I felt like the Lord told me to get a camera and to go learn and to listen. And so, you know, it's, it's not the beginning of that process for me. I've been on this journey as far as really trying to understand the pain of the, the Black community in America specifically for probably about six years. It's, it's been something that's on my heart. But yeah, listening is something that really can enlighten you. And so I'll just give you a little bit of an example. So That'd be great. in the city where I live, it's about 50% African-American, 50% white. So most of America is not the way my city is. And I know you're in North Carolina too. The South is, is very different in, in a sense that there's a lot more African-Americans in the average city than like if you go to, to Iowa or Nebraska or even like the Pacific Northwest. It's just, it's just different. And here in our city, when I first moved here, I was kind of unaware of, of the division and the lines and, and the way things kind of operate here. But over time, I started to, to see it. And then over time, I got to learn. And one of the things that, that I've discovered is like me personally taking people that have grown up in my city their whole life taking them to neighborhoods that they didn't even know existed, literally just, just a mile off the, the roads they typically drive. They never would go off that little avenue or down that street. Yeah. Taking time to take people and go down those streets and meet people that they don't usually meet can be some of the most eye-opening experiences for people just like in my city. Because most people in my city, they live in these nice suburban communities they go to Starbucks and Walmart and Target and they go home and they never, they never venture outside of the bubble of who they know. But the reality is like my city, you know, half of the population lives dramatically different than another half of the population that lives in another part of the city. And neither groups really associate. Like it's, it's weird, but there's, there's a lot of segregation still. Um, they they don't hang out. They, they don't go to the same schools. They, they don't go to the same clubs. They don't go to the same bars. They don't go to the same restaurants even. It's, it's very segregated in that sense. And so one of the things that I've seen is powerful in my city is even just bridging the gap where people begin to be aware of how different it is and how much division there, there still is. And that's kind of the idea of like listening or learning is like, whoa, I, I wasn't even aware. And I think awareness is the beginning and then also like learning to listen. And I've had over the past couple of years, I've had a lot of great conversations with African-American leaders in my city and around the country, but I've also had a lot of really hard ones. And I think that we as the church need to be willing to not only have the easy conversations, but to even be able to listen to the people that are maybe really angry or really hurt, really bitter, um, have been through something. And you know to be able to listen to them. And I think that that is... Um, definitely a, a remedy. And, and right now, specifically, like, so We Hear You, the, the film that we, we just created, one of the things that, that I've realized in, in the creation of it is that 
me going on that journey and opening up my ears and opening up my eyes to, to begin to listen and, and hear has now given me the ability to know more appropriately how I need to respond. And I think that's what was missing before is if I'm not listening, yeah. then I don't even know, I don't even know how to respond or what to say, but, but I'm becoming more acquainted and it's just hard to care about something that you don't know anything about. And so right. how do you start to engage and learn? You have to start by listening. And, and yeah. so anyways, those are just some that's, of my thoughts around great. that question. Yeah, so helpful, so practical. And for people that don't know what to do in response to this, just simple step, but so powerful, so eye-opening, and it begins relationships and it opens all kinds of doors for things. So what, are, what kind of response are you getting from the film? You said there's churches that are starting to show it. Are you getting some, some good response so far? Hey guys, this is Matthew. We'll get back to the episode in just a moment. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider joining Presence Pioneers Premium, our brand new subscriber community. Paid subscribers will get exclusive premium content, such as bonus podcast episodes, exclusive articles, early releases, and more. Presence Pioneers will be releasing its first e-course in 2024 with many more to come. And the Presence Pioneers premium subscribers will always have full access to the entire library of online courses. Visit media.presencepioneers.org or click the link in the description to join today. You can become a premium member today for an introductory price of only $5 a month. When the price goes up in the future, as our library of resources grows, you can stay subscribed at the original price. If you've enjoyed our podcast for a while, becoming a premium member is a simple way for you to help us cover the cost of producing this podcast and partner with Presence Pioneers in equipping the church with resources for day and night prayer, prophetic worship, missions, and revival. Visit media.presencepioneers.org to sign up today. Yeah, so it, it's been really cool watching it. So like the, the average video or, you know, kind of thing that we produce would have, you know, like on YouTube, it might have a couple hundred views, right? Sure. So since the time that we released it a couple of weeks ago, we've been getting hundreds of views a day. And I think like as of like today, we'll cross 10,000 views on YouTube. So like typically it's like 100 or 200. Well, we, you know, 10,000. One of the interesting things is like, we just literally just put it out there. Yeah. And so I don't know who's watching the film. I don't know 10,000 people, you know, anyways, yeah. it's, it's just interesting watching like people even from all over the world. So about 80, 85% of the people that have watched it on YouTube are from the US, which means 15% of those views. And if you look at the, the actual algorithm, people are actually watching almost the entire film on average, which is unheard of as well for like a, crazy. a YouTube video. Typically, it's like yep. 5% to, you know, people jump on and off. No, like people are literally watching the movie and 15% of them are around the world. So we know that there's a hunger for something like what, what we created. But I, I think in all, we've had about 70,000 views through the different channels that, that we've done. And then on top of that, we've also had some churches that have, that have showed it. And that, 
that's kind of the next phase that we're in with the film is we just built like a landing page where churches can sign up to show the film and we'll actually give them a copy of it and they can, you know, show it to their community. And, and that's what we're, we're advocating more than anything. You know, going back to the last question you asked, listening, the importance of listening. We, we think the film could be like a, a tool to create times of actual listening because the film's good. But like the most effective thing for me to do and you to do and whoever's watching to do is not to just watch the movie, but is to go find someone that looks different than you and actually have a real like, you know, conversation like with them and ask them questions and actually listen. Um, Cause that's what we've done. Like Ellen and I have facilitated conversations in the past month or two with people, even our neighbors just asking them, Hey, do you feel like there's racism What's, you know, what just learning from them. Um, so I think, you know, churches in this next phase could host like, uh, like a watch party, whether it's digital or in person. And then basically like kind of the vision is then get people to talk, you know, and just sit around and listen, listen to each other. And it's hard, you know, when you let people talk, you're going to get whatever they really think. And so, you know, you lose control as a leader um, you know, when you're the preacher and only people hear what you have to say, that's pretty safe, right? right? But when you let people really start talking specifically about hot topics, there there's a potential that there may be some fires you have to put out as a leader, but we think it's worth it. We think it's right. worth that that risk. You know, it's it's I think it could be a good thing. So we've definitely been blown away, I think, by the response to the film. And, you know, again, this is not something that we do, like we're not out making movies. Sure. Um, just the fact that people are watching it and engaging with it to me is just like, wow, this is, this is awesome. You know, the Lord yeah. spoke to us, we responded and, and he's using it, you know, and, and it, it really is just a tool. Um, yeah. That's the purpose of the film, I think is to be a, a tool for the church specifically to help, help people respond. And um, the feedback that we're getting is, you know, we have a, a wide gamut of feedback that we've gotten. You know, some people are like, well, you know, it's not enough. It's, you know, it's, it's like, you're not even really addressing the issue, you know? And then we have you know, people that are like, you know, this whole thing is a farce and like, you know, you're, you're, you're copying into the liberal agenda and you're not scripture. And then we have other people that are just like, crazy about it. So it, you right. know, 98% of the feedback has been like, we love it. It's changed my life. And then, wow. you know, we've had this peripheral kind of group that has been like kind of against it, but you know, it actually, we've had less negative feedback than we anticipated. I was anticipating a lot of negative feedback, but I haven't gotten it yet. So yeah, because the topic is <laughs> just so contentious. Yeah. 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 Wow. Well, that's awesome, man. I I love it. I mean, I I think in a world where everybody's tweeting and posting all of their immediate thoughts and opinions, and when we're being encouraged, share your voice, give your opinion, etc. I mean, the, the call to listen and to let people speak and just the practical of doing it in real life, in real time with people that you can see face to face instead of just posting your opinions online, I think is, is just, if people will actually begin to do that and talk to real people that they really know and get to know them and hear them, to me, I think that kind of grassroots relationships is what's going to what's gonna ultimately be needed to heal 
Um, so I'd love to take a few minutes and talk about Take the City as well. Is there anything else you want to say about the film before we kind of shift topics a little bit? No, I think, yeah, I think that was, that was basically it. I mean, anybody, you, you can just look up We Hear You and you guys can find the film. So if anybody's interested in, in checking it out, um, you know, they can, they can find it. And of course, I know we'll put some links out there too. But of course. Yeah. So you take the cities and evangelistic ministry. That's your main ministry is actually not making films. Like you said, uh, our podcast presence pioneers is really focused on the worship and prayer movement primarily. Although of course, missions and evangelism flows out of that, but you are somewhat unique to a lot of evangelists where you have a high value for worship and prayer and the presence of God as well. So I would love for you to give your perspective to the people that are, that are engaging with us, which are mostly worship leaders, intercessors, burn, house of prayer people, you know, speak to us. And maybe I know you have some story personally that connects those ideas together, but speak to us from your perspective as an evangelist, but someone who also values worship and prayer. Yeah, give us some perspective on that because sometimes those things can seem to be uh, held in tension. Uh, like, are we going to go? Are we going to stay and pray? That kind of thing. And so maybe speak into that and give us your perspective there. Yeah, so I'll just explain Take the City just really brief, briefly. But the, the origin of how Take the City was birthed is I moved to the city where I live now in 2013. And uh, one of the first things I did is I got plugged in with the House of Prayer that prayed on Tuesday nights. Maybe they had a couple other prayer meetings, but I think it was like a Tuesday night House of Prayer prayer meeting kind of intercession set. I, I don't really know how to explain it. You know, just little House of Prayer. And and I get involved. Um, side note, that is where I met my wife. I think I said that earlier. <laughs> but anyways, for the singles out there, prayer room, great place to find a future spouse. Uh, <laughs> it really is. So so I'm going there and we're studying the Bible, you know, reading, you know, praying, just stuff like that. I get involved with this little house of prayer community. All of a sudden I get this vision of basically hosting evangelism and and combining it with the house of prayer and kind of the way that that happened is my work i was working for another ministry they asked me to plan an outreach so i planned an outreach for about 150 people we went to different locations around the city and shared the gospel and i did the training for for this this conference and so we do the conference and we 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 had an amazing time but all the people from the conference were out of town they came here and they went and shared the gospel in our town one of the local pastors had helped me uh, plan the event. He's like, "Hey, he's like, why don't we do what we did at the conference, but like do it with like our churches in town?" And I was like, "Yeah, that's a great idea. I think you should plan it." He's like, "No, I was like, I think you should do it." And I was like, "I don't want to do it. You know, you do it." And we kind of went back and forth, and finally we were like, "Okay, let's try. So let's do it next month." So my my idea was this: What if we did a prophetic style worship? gathering on Friday night. And then Saturday, we went out in the streets and, and shared the gospel. And then we had a team that prayed the whole time we were out sharing the gospel. And they were like, okay, cool. So let's do it. So four weeks later, we had, I don't know, 40 people come and like five different churches were represented in this little group of people. And we had about five evangelists that partnered with me that helped take these teams out. And so Friday night, we did like a almost identical to like what the burn 24 seven feels like, which is funny. I had no idea what the burn was, but basically we did a burn on Friday night. Yeah. And then on Saturday 
we went out and, and shared the gospel. And we, we did it and it was awesome. And we saw people getting touched by God and it had powerful prayer time. And so we were just like, why don't we do it again? When do you want to do it again? Let's do it next month. And so we did it the next month. So for about two years, we just did that. That was just what we did. And, and so it grew to where these gatherings got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then other things were birthed out of it. But, but ultimately, you know, what we started doing in that was birthed out of the house of prayer, but it didn't stop with the house of prayer. It really uh, combined the house of prayer with kind of like power evangelism, kind of those two things coming together is like the origins of, of Take the City. And um, for me, I think the significance of that is pretty big because I, I think that you know evangelism or, or trying to bring the gospel not rooted in, in intimacy is exhausting. It's, it's unproductive. Whereas like gospel proclamation that is rooted in the presence of God, that's rooted in a life that knows Jesus is powerful and it's effective. And one of the, one of the big things that, that I, I teach all over the nation when I go and, and do, I do these evangelism trainings for churches around America. And one of the, the principles that I teach is, is this, this principle of intimacy where if, if you are, for, for example, in politics, if you were to hear someone advocate for a political candidate who had memorized a, a sheet of paper of facts about that candidate, and then maybe they're well-spoken, they're super eloquent, but ultimately they're reciting facts about someone they've never met. Or if you had a chance to literally go get coffee with someone who has grown up with that political candidate, their whole life they've known them. They've seen them in crisis. They've seen them in the good, bad, and the ugly. Which person do you want to hear more in order to help you understand which political candidate you should get behind? You're going to obviously want to go get coffee with the person that's actually been with that person. Of course. Yeah. Well, gospel proclamation, it, intimacy is, is, is supreme in importance because most people, evangelism is reading off a list of facts that they know about Jesus. You know, people are responding, but it, it, it's far less productive then like, for instance, the apostles, the, the Jewish leaders, they identified them in the book of Acts. They said, these are the guys that have been with Jesus. Yeah. They knew that these are the ones that had been with him. And so there's something about intimacy that gives authority to bear witness. Because when they're around you, when you're around people and you begin to share the simple gospel from a place of actually having been with Jesus, people can tell the difference between someone who's just telling religious facts and philosophy trying to convert someone into Christian religion. It's different. We're not preaching a philosophy. We're preaching a person. Yeah. You know, and most people, when they think of evangelism, they think of coercion tactics to convince someone to follow the basic tenets and doctrines of the Christian religion. Like literally, if you were to boil down what most people think evangelism is, they think of it as that. Okay. And that's our Western mindset that's our that's our persp- our worldview really actually shapes that in the church today. But evangelism is not trying to convert someone to a doctrine or a set of truths. Evangelism is the introduction of an actual real person who is really alive that you have gotten to know that has changed your life. That's all evangelism is. So intimacy is paramount in evangelism because otherwise it's impotent evangelism. It is literally, it, it, 
to me, the difference between someone who is a great apologist but doesn't frequently spend time intimate with the Lord and a baby Christian on fire for Jesus that's be, that's with them all the time, I'd rather hear the baby Christian preach the gospel than the seasoned apologist. Why? Because I want to know, have you really been with him? Is yeah. he really who he says he is? And that comes through through actual intimacy. And that's why prayer room, that's why building a lifestyle of intimacy is significant. And I think another reason that the prayer movement is so significant is also because today... The, the modern Christian perspective, specifically for worship leaders in America, is the American Idol Syndrome. You know, I want to become the next big Bethel worship leader. And my road to success is like this, 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 this. You know, I got to get the YouTube channel. I got to do some good covers. It's got to go viral. And then I'm going to get on Bethel. And then I'm going to be famous. And that's kind of like the average worship leader and singer in America. They're big... If, We'll never get people to say this, but if you boil it down, this is where people are really at. It's real. They want to yeah. be the next big famous worship leader, okay? One of the reasons I appreciate the prayer movement and the prayer movement for preachers like me who want to be the next big whatever famous preacher is the prayer room cause it, it it's it's an antidote for the prideful and selfish ambitions. It's the antidote why? Because if you submit yourself to a lifestyle of prayer and fasting, in a place where you don't get the applause of men, it helps build a, a stability in your life where you realize, you know, that revelation from 1 Peter chapter 2, that we're a holy priesthood, that literally we have a calling to minister to God and no one else. And the incredible privilege we have and, and what happens, what shifts in our hearts when we minister to God when no one else is watching that's what prepares us for all these other things. I think it's important that they come together, you know, uh, disciple-making movement, uh, missions, evangelistic ministries, evangelistic churches. Um, I think that's why it's so important that we come together with the house of prayer because yeah. the house of prayer is a movement from the Lord, I believe, that's helping to stabilize the church in the midst of a world that says, pursue fame, pursue this, pursue that. Uh, it helps ground us back into that place of, of what matters most. And that's, you know, the secret place. Okay. That's so good, man. <laughs> so much fire on that. I just want to amen it over and over. Look, I mean, I, I think that's a great way to sort of wrap up this conversation is, is with that. I feel like that was a great climax there. Let me, I'll just throw out one more little kind of closing question for fun. If you could go back, you said 11 years ago, you were an addict. You got just got saved, came to know Jesus. If you could go back to Andrew 11 years ago and tell yourself something, what would you say? Wow. So if I were to go back to that. Right, at, right after you got saved. Yeah. Yeah. So in that moment, I think I would, I would just tell myself, I mean, honestly, it's just don't hold anything back. Give everything to Jesus. Like, do not ever think you have to not trust him in any way just go, go crazy. Like put all, you know, like right now I would, I would tell myself, listen, you've got your life and you have these chips, right? And you can, you can gamble on which way you want your life to go. Take every chip you have and put it on the Jesus side and like, just give it all there because literally he's going to bless you like, like crazy. Your life's going to be changed. You know, there's nothing else that's going to, um, affect you like he's going to. 
And, and so I just think just urging myself even more quickly to surrender all, you know, would yeah. be, would be my encouragement. Awesome. Cool. Well, Hey, would you just say a prayer for people that are listening and watching this, maybe on some of the themes that uh, we've talked about on this conversation? Would you just pray for people? Yeah, sure. Lord, I just thank you for releasing Holy Spirit boldness over all those that, that are listening and watching. Uh, boldness to listen, boldness to even keep our mouths closed when we need to, like boldness to just obey the Holy Spirit in radical ways. And I, I do just pray right now for each one of you that are that are listening and watching that the Holy Spirit would also give you boldness for the proclamation of the gospel. I just declare just over each and every one of you that God is simplifying what it means to make disciples and share the gospel. I just declare that God is He's taking clutter even in your minds that has been thinking it's like complicated and you just don't have it quite figured out. I just declare the Holy Spirit is literally decluttering your mind and allowing you to see the simplicity of the gospel and the simplicity of making disciples. Mm -hmm.